Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. you it's great to be with you I was um, thinking the other day about a time when I was standing in lower Manhattan New York and I was looking on to the memorials of those who had lost their lives as two planes were deliberately flown into the Twin Towers and actually just around the corner a block or two away the mayor was addressing some children who had lost their parents and others in the tragedy. Mary and myself, a couple of years later, actually lived on that east coast and uh, it was kind of startling how many people knew somebody who had lost a life in that tragedy. You know, as I soaked up the atmosphere, I recalled the day it happened. I was sitting in my office actually in Kingsburn Hall and Mary rang me and she said, you must turn on the TV. So as I turned it on, I just watched these horrific scenes taking place literally in front of me. And I got an email from a friend who was in the tower a couple of blocks away from the Twin Towers saying, I'm still alive, I'm okay, but I can't get out at the moment. And at some point I got a phone call from my sister checking that I was not actually not on the flight. You see, I used to fly that route quite regularly. In fact, only three days earlier I'd flown from Boston to New York. You know, when we read the last verses of Ezra chapter 3, we see that these emotions are the same emotions of the people as they looked on a devastation of a temple and a city, and then just the glimmer of a star of a new work. This morning, I want to carry on the account from Ezra chapter 4, and it starts off with some promising and encouraging news, but with a major sting. So Ezra 4 verse 1 says this, The enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding a temple to the Lord, to the God of Israel. You know, news travels quickly, even without the internet. And those who were remaining and living around Jerusalem were really aware of what the people of God were achieving. Now, in the people of God's eyes, it was very little. It was like the foundation stone. But actually, for those around them, they could see, actually, there was thousands of people now who had traveled miles and miles, and they'd started to set about rebuilding the temple to the living God. Interested in these opening verses, it describes God's people specifically as Judah, and Benjamin. This is really important information as we move through the passage because centuries earlier after a terrible civil war ten of the tribes broke away from Judah and Benjamin and formed a new nation. They were initially known as the northern kingdom of Israel and eventually known as we would know them through the New Testament Bible narratives as the Samaritans. After a few generations this northern nation ended up having a war with the Assyrians, and the Assyrians completely defeated them. Now, the Assyrian strategy at the time 
was to integrate a defeated nation into the expanding empire, was to get many of their indigenous people to emigrate and settle in the new defeated nation. This encouraged mixed marriages, facilitated the occupation named nation being assimilated into the broader worship of the Assyrian pantheon. They had multiple gods, which now included the God of Israel, Yahweh. So what we see is that the enemies of Benjamin and Judah had lots of history in common and in some ways still worshipped Yahweh, the living God. Yet they were totally compromised in their true devotion of the Lord God. So verse 2 goes on to say this, they approached Zerubbabel and the other leaders and said, let us build with you for we worship your God just as you do. And we have sacrificed to him ever since King Esauhaddon of Assyria brought us here. You know, some of the most difficult challenges happen when we've had some success. As a church, people want to join something that is growing. As individuals, we can be admired by what we are achieving. People can say we're on the same page as you. We stand for what you stand for. We're just Christians just like you. They can say, we also have resources, we're well off. We've got people, finance, loads of energy. If we join you, if we come with you, we can help you build so much quicker. Well, Zerubbabel and Joshua and the other leaders of Israel replied, and it says this in verse 3 of chapter 4, you may have no part in this work. We alone will build the temple for the Lord God, the God of Israel just as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us. Crafty and subtle, subtle opposition can be very difficult to notice and even more difficult to turn down. But I love Zerubbabel. I wanted to call one of my kids Zerubbabel, but uh, to their kind of advantage, my wife overawed it. But he's one of my great heroes of the Bible. And he said emphatically, no. We'll see later that this reply was going to be very costly. It made the opposition mad and also eventually resulted in the work stopping. You know, it's a hard thing to get our heads around that sometimes we can do the right thing and say the right thing. And actually it costs us greatly and it can make things very difficult. It, it feels like it should be the opposite. It feels like if we do the right things for God, say the right things for God, then things should work out. I remember moving house once and uh, some of the people didn't want me to move to start another church. They wanted me to stay in. A, the house that I was selling actually had a massive sandpit under one of the walls and started falling down. And uh, some of my friends said to me, what's God saying to you? And really their answer was, is God saying stay? And I said, no, God's saying I've got a sandpit under the house I just need to get it sorted you know it's easy to try and see that it isn't fair I was doing the right thing and yet things were going wrong but it's Zerubbabel emphatically said the right thing no but having said no it meant that the opposition got mad and their crafty subtle approach soon escalated verse 4 says that the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep 
from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. This went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. Hey, this escalation of pain and opposition went on for year after year after year. You know what? Undermining constant discouragement can really wear you out and for some of us we're living whether it's with illness whether it's with unanswered prayer whether it's with many other things that actually feels like year after year we have not seen a breakthrough you know it can wear you out and then eventually it escalated into actually terrible things they wrote two letters these enemies realized they weren't winning the battle by just crafty moves or just by kind of consistently barraging uh, the uh, people with opposition. And so they wrote two letters back to the uh, leaders of Persia. In verse six, it said this years later. So you can see this opposition had been going on for year after year. It says years later, when Xerxes began his reign, the enemies of Judah wrote a letter of accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Notice this, years later when Xerxes became, began his reign, you see, this was a new emperor. This was a new leader of Persia. He didn't know the original people of God. He had just, it was hearsay now. And so they wrote a letter to him. And then they wrote another letter in verse seven. It says, even later during the reign of King Artaxerxes, that's another king of Persia, the enemies of Judah, led by Michelin, Mithram, and Azabil, sent a letter to Artaxerxes in the Aramaic language, and it was translated to the king. And part of this letter, uh, we'll read in verse 12. So there's verses from what I've just read to verse 12 is the kind of introduction to the letter. And then it says this, the king, that's the Persian king, should know that the Jews who came here to Jerusalem from Babylon are rebuilding this rebellious and evil city. They have already laid the foundation and will soon finish its walls. And the king should know that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, it will be much to your disadvantages. For the Jews will refuse to pay tribute, customs and tolls to you. The reality is this letter was simply not true. They had only just started to build the temple. They hadn't even got that far with the building of it. They hadn't even started, even if they were going to build the walls. But you know, the king didn't do much research. He did a little bit of research and saw actually this was a rebellious nation. In fact, they'd stood up against the Babylonian king and uh, it just read a few things that seemed to uh, agree with this letter. And so he wrote back and told these enemies, verse 21 says this, I issue orders to have these men stop their work. That city must not be rebuilt except at my express command. Be diligent and don't neglect this matter, for we must not permit the situation to harm the king's letter. So when this letter from King Artaxerxes was read to the enemies, they hurried to Jerusalem. With a show of strength, they forced the Jews to stop them. You know what? 
they, it's like they couldn't go fast enough to stop the work of God. Sometimes the enemy, just once they, once they get a scent of them being, they're going to win, they just can't stop going. And then this devastated news in verse 24. So the work on the temple of God in Jerusalem stopped and it remained a standstill until the king, second year of King Darius of Persia. This is absolutely horrendous. These people traveled so many miles, built new homes, began the work of the temple of God. They were desperate for the presence of God, for God to be in their midst. And this continual barrage of opposition just wore them down. And eventually, an edict from the king basically said, you must stop. And they just didn't have the energy, the strength, willpower to just drain from them. And so it says it came to a standstill. Confidence completely shattered. You know, we can see the personal cost of this feat. Sometimes when we read a chapter like this in Ezra, we think of a building that's stopped being built. We see kind of the loss of kind of uh, 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 this building being built. But you know, behind that, there were people. And you know, behind lots of initiatives from the church, it is people that actually sometimes have the personal cost. And so we see three groups of people that paid a heavy price for this defeat. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 2, it says, The Lord of the heaven army says, The people are saying the time has not yet come to build the house of the Lord. You see, Haggai was a prophet that came through uh, a while later. And he was addressing the people and saying, Come on, you must build. And you know what? They had just given it up. They said, No, the time has not yet come. Basically, they had just come so disillusioned. They'd lost so much confidence. They just couldn't believe that God could help them do it. They, it. It was like they were crushed with failure. You know, there's people in the church that are crushed with failure, that started out with high, high motivation, high ideals, high dreams, and now with defeat and constant barrage of pressure, just crushed. And basically, as God's speaking to them, they just can't hear the word of God anymore. Then there was Joshua, the high priest, and Zechariah, another prophet that emerged at this time. He says, the angel of the Lord showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Joshua. Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. This is in Zechariah 1 to 3. So here's Joshua, the high priest, who had come back with the people of God with the dream that he could serve the people as the priest in the temple with the presence of God there. And basically this temple was just a little few stones in a ground. He was constantly battered by the devil. He just kept pointing out, you are a failure. You are dirty. You have no right now to stand in the presence of God. The devil just took constant delight 
in pointing out to Joshua he was a massive failure. And then we have Zerubbabel, my hero. This amazing leader who, after Abraham, Moses and David, was one of the great leaders of the Old Testament. You know, he led 42,000 people over a thousand miles to start again in Jerusalem. He gave his life to make this happen. And now he's a broken man. Zechariah not only addresses Joshua, but he addresses Zerubbabel in Zerubbabel in 4 verse 10. And he said to Zerubbabel, do not despise these small beginnings. You know, Zerubbabel spent year after year going into Jerusalem and looking at the foundation stones of this temple. And he started to despise it. He says, do not despise, hated, derided, looked down. You know, what started with such great dreams and celebration and enthusiasm as he laid the foundation stone, you know, he started to hate it. You know, it's sad, isn't it, when some of the good things we do for God, we look at now and, and actually we despise them. And this is real. This is Zerubbabel, one of the leading leaders of the Old Testament. And this is where he got to. You know, it does give me a little bit of hope in a strange way, in a strange way to know that actually these great leaders knew the dark moments of the soul, knew the times of total despair and total disappointment. Makes me think of three years ago, I was pouring a cup of coffee, it was just before Christmas in my house and uh, I just burst into tears and uh, Mary just she was really worried you know I just nothing it was just it was like out there in the, out the blue I remember visiting my doctor and uh, he said look this is a culmination of a nosedive in your mental health and uh, he said as he heard my story, said about 40 years of leading churches and charities and adopting kids, and he's basically saying, your mental health is getting crushed. And uh, for me, you know, it was, it was just a wake-up call that effectively there are times that actually just get ground down. And... Uh, and for me, it was just a massive nosedive. It's easy, you know, when we're preaching to move on from these moments. You know, when I first read this chapter, I said to Tim, I said, it finishes so bad. And uh, actually, I'm going to preach next week because I do want to lift this. But actually, I feel I don't want to overlift it. You see, it's easy to preach and then end, you know, like the goodies win <laughs> and it's easy to kind of then steer it to but for many of us you know defeat can go on for many years for me you know it was six months signed off and then you know it's three years later and i can honestly say i think i am still recovering and the season for joshua zerubbabel and the people lasted year after year so in summary the, the opponents had triumphed 
and the community began to taste the bitterness of high hopes disappointed. God's enterprise totally frustrated. How differently things had turned out from the expectations which the company had when they set off on that epic trip from Babylon. The cost of hopes and dreams not coming to reality made the people of God just give up. And you see, for many weary years, the people had to wait for the work to have another chance of starting. You can see how enthusiasm dies out. The lack of progress in the temple cried out, Zerubbabel, you are a complete failure. The lack of progress on the temple for the high priest to minister in gave room for the devil to cry out, Joshua, you are not worthy. You know, years later, there was another cry. And at this cry, the whole of creation shook. The sun stopped. And the Son of God, the Eternal One, cries out, it is finished. You know, the Eternal One, the Holy One, became the Saviour of the world. Failure was defeated then. Unworthiness had been made clean. God is in the restoration business. God is in the business of restoring the soul. God is in the business of rescuing the lost, making us clean. In the time of greatest defeat, there's the seeds of life and hope. In the time of Jesus's greatest defeat, seemingly death on the cross, he could cry, it is finished. It is finished. You know, a page turned. A page turned. The sun stopped. Sin was defeated. Death was destroyed. In the last line of Ezra, it says this. It remained a standstill until the second year of King Darius of Persia. Next week, I'm going to carry on preaching. And I'm going to preach on the restoration of a soul. But let's finish by hungering after God, the eternal one. Let the words, it is finished, cry over our souls. Lord God, I want to pray this week as we hunger after you, as we hunger after righteousness, as we expose defeat, as we expose unworthiness to you i pray god in your mercy in your mercy will you cry it is finished over our lives may god bless you and may god keep you and may god make his face shine upon each one of you amen god bless you